Well, that last um, verse that we sang, blind unbelief is sure to wear. Um, could, we, could we have the words of that last one up again? Here we go. And scan God's work in vain. But God is his own interpreter and he'll make it plain, as in he'll make his purposes, what he's doing, plain to us. And Ruth is one of those stories that helps us to see that, that the world isn't just meaningless, that we aren't just rats in a cage um, being experimented on by some great God who, who just loves to bring suffering or the world isn't just meaningless and without a God in the world often when we go through suffering or when people in the world around us go through suffering it makes us doubt God's existence or at least his goodness Um, but Ruth is one of those stories as there are many in scripture that really take us to the resurrection of Jesus to help us see and to know that even if we can't see the end of our own story just yet even though we can't quite work out why our suffering or something that we've spotted on the news why that has happened and why God has let it happen. Um, These kind of stories help us to see that uh, that we shouldn't just be blind in unbelief and and say, well, there is no God or there is no meaning or there is no purpose or there is no hope, but that we should trust God that one day his purposes will bloom like a flower. Did you hear that? It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That his purposes will ripen fast, that even though the the bud is bitter, the flower is going to be sweet and that the clouds that are that seem dark at first are going to break and rain with mercy on our on our heads. So that's a question that you're struggling with. And I encourage you to go and read the book of Ruth and to see how God works with somebody even in, in real darkness and brings her slowly but surely um, to see that he really does have his hand on our lives and on the history of the world for good and for redemption or for rest. I wonder if you spotted that word in the reading today that... Um, that rest is really one of the big themes that goes through the book of Ruth. Back in chapter one, Naomi says, uh, I can't possibly give you rest. That's kind of the gist of what she says to the two girls to try and pack them off back home. She says, how are you ever going to come and have rest with me? I'm an old woman. Even if I had sons today, they wouldn't grow up uh, in time for you to marry them and have children and have rest in a family line, have rest in your old age. There's no hope of rest for you in Bethlehem. But then what does she see in chapter three? Did you spot it right at the beginning? What does Naomi, who seemed to have no hope, have no plans, except try and see if you can find some food, Ruth, in chapter two. Now suddenly Naomi seems to be planning for rest. Did you see that? It's in verse one. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, to her, my daughter, shall, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? So Naomi's beginning to hatch a plan. And that word rest comes up right at the end of the chapter as well. Did you see that in verse 18? Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So Boaz isn't going to rest until he's found rest for Ruth. And Naomi isn't going to rest until she's cooked up a plan to find rest for Ruth. So keep that in, in mind as we go through. Um, this is what God has planned for us, for rest, to belong in a family line, to have people who will look after us, for, that he would be the God who, who gives us rest and hope for the future. Um, so three things we're going to see today, and, and we'll see them through the characters, the three main characters in this story. First, Naomi has an idea. I wonder if you think it's a good idea. Um, two, Ruth... Uh, Ruth takes a risk, and three, Boaz breaks the cycle. We'll get to that later on. But Naomi's idea, what's her big idea? It's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Ruth, 
put your best clothes on, take off those kind of sweaty work clothes you've been out in the fields in um, day by day, take off possibly her widow's mourning clothes. Who knows if she's wearing that? It doesn't say, but maybe she is. Um, but she's got old clothes on, working clothes, um, clothes that kind of represent her past history, her sadness, um, her being a very poor person. And she's now got to put on her best clothes, her best perfume, and go in the middle of the night to a place where men have been drinking to uncover this man's feet and lie down and kind of, in a weird way, propose marriage to Boaz. That's the plan. It's a bit of a weird plan, isn't it? I wonder if we could take a vote and see who would, if you have daughters or granddaughters or cousins or, I don't know, girls in your life, if you would ever give them that kind of advice, whether you think that would be a good idea or not. Well, we can leave it. I won't take a vote and see. But Ruth cooks up a plan. It's a strange plan, isn't it? But it is a plan for good. So this sermon, the title of it is Strange Strategic Goodness. Okay, Ruth, uh, sorry, Naomi has a plan a strategic plan. She's working, she's taking the pieces that God has put into her life and she's trying to put them together into a plan to do good, to bring rest for Ruth. See, it's not just rest for herself that she's looking for, it's rest for Ruth. Did you see that? So she's planning for the good of others. That's really point number one. What is Naomi's idea? It's a bit of a strange one, but it really has a beautiful heart, doesn't it? She wants good for Ruth. She wants rest for Ruth. She's planning. She has an ambition for the good of other people, for the people that she loves. So I wonder what your ambitions are. We asked the children earlier on. I wonder if you would go home and listen to that sermon. Um, if you, if God has given you a holy ambition, not just for yourself, not just ideas and hopes for the holiday or for the retirement plan or for the whatever it might be in the future, but if you have hopes and dreams for the good of others, and whether you might cook up some crazy plan to do really good things for, um, for others. Well, how does Naomi get to this point? Earlier on, she was so dark in chapter one that she wanted to change her name to bitterness because surely God didn't have any good plans for her. There's no hope. Let's just go home to Bethlehem and die. That was chapter one. There's no plan there. Chapter two, she begins to see, well, I suppose we have to live. So we take, if you remember that sermon, Ruth chapter two, the godly next step. We talked a bit about guidance and how when we don't really know what the big plans are for the future, like when you have a big hope and, and a dream and the door is shut in your face, what do you do? Well, you take the godly next step. You see what comes up and you just do what tomorrow brings. That's what chapter two really is all about. And so they go to the field or Ruth goes to a field and just get some food. It's a godly, sensible next step to do. But now all of a sudden, we're not just taking sensible next steps, kind of living hand to mouth day by day. Now we're making big plans for the future. So where has that come from in Naomi? Well, it's come from knowing God's goodness in her life, knowing that God's hand is in her life for good. And that's how you can make plans, knowing that God has hope and a future for you, knowing that he, he does good for those who love him, knowing that all things one day will work for good for those who love him. That frees you to make crazy plans for the good of others and for God's glory. Do you see what's happened to Naomi? That God has brought her from darkness and depression and not being able to even think about tomorrow to gradually being able to think about tomorrow to now being able to think about the long-term tomorrow. She's making big strategic plans for goodness. So um, rest is the aim and hope is her engine. Do you see that? You'll find it difficult to make plans if you don't have hope. 
So how do you make plans where you need to come back to know God, to see his, to see his goodness in your own life, to see the hope that you have in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, to see the hope you have in the new creation that, that really you'll lose nothing. That's what helps you to be able to make plans to risk everything. And that's the second point is that Ruth takes a big risk, doesn't she? Ruth hears Naomi's plan. And what does she say? All that you say, I will do. Isn't that amazing trust in her mother-in-law? But it's a real risk. What she's doing is a a risk to herself physically to go to a place where men who've been drinking in the time of the judges, that's uh, the first line of Ruth, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. And we turned back a page a few months ago and saw that in the days of the judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no rules. There weren't any police. There were, basically, you, you were at the mercy of strong and powerful men. So... Ruth to go and lay herself down in the middle of the night in a place where men have been drinking is not a safe thing to do. She's taking a risk physically, isn't she? But she's also taking a risk to her reputation. She's already a Moabite, somebody who, we'll talk about that in a minute, a a people who had a very bad reputation. She's begun to get her reputation back again by just working hard and being a kind of honest person, working in the fields, looking after Naomi, her mother-in-law. But now she's risking her reputation again. It's a really risky thing to do. So what is, what is Naomi doing sending her into that place? And what is Ruth doing taking that risk? Well, what they're doing is trusting themselves to God's provision and to the good character of Boaz. Right? if you know the story so far, uh, in chapter two, Boaz didn't have to but looked after Ruth really well. He treated her with great honor, spoke to her really kindly. Turns out to be a really godly man, just in the way that he greets and says hello to people. It seems to um, overflow with God. And so, so they've seen goodness in Boaz's life. They've seen that he's been faithful, that he's protected, that he hasn't taken advantage of Ruth, that he hasn't even made any kind of advances towards her at all, it would seem, that he's kind of been hanging in the background, just making sure that they're okay. Serving them, helping them, doing a good job of, of being a, a family member. And so do you see what they do? It, it is a risk, but actually when Boaz is Boaz, when Boaz is who he is, it's not really that much of a risk. So you can trust him. At least they think you can trust him. Um, so Ruth takes a big risk. What does she do? Well, she goes and asks Boaz to, to be who he is. Did you see that as she goes in? She, she goes, uncovers his feet. He gets cold feet, um, probably literally cold feet, as in wakes up because his feet are cold. And it's dark, remember? Uh, and he's a little bit worse for wear. Um, he's half asleep. You know what that feeling is? You know, when the baby wakes up in the middle of the night and you, you, you just don't quite know where you are. Or that feeling on holiday when you're in a strange bed and you half wake up. Do you remember, have you ever felt that? And you're not quite sure where you are, which way it is to the bathroom or which doors you're supposed to go through. That's what Boaz is feeling like, right? And just look at how he speaks and what he does in this situation. But um, first he asks, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, Boaz had said to her back when he'd met her in chapter two, um, that he'd heard about how she had come to take refuge under God's wing. How she'd come to take refuge under the shadow of God's wing. And now she picks up that metaphor, picks up that picture that he already had brought into the conversation. And she says, now, Boaz, look after me. 
spread your wing over me because you are a redeemer. What does that mean? Well, in ancient Israel, I'm not sure if you heard about this before, but still actually in a few cultures around the world today, they have a practice where um, if, you're, if you get married and then the husband dies without having children, a member of the family will marry the widowed wife and have children with her, but they'll be considered as the children of the dead brother. Does that make sense? So they're carrying on the family line. That's what redemption is about, right? That, that if your life and your hope and your future is all bound up in your property, where you live and your farm, um, and then in the people who are in your family and your family line as they grow and take on the family property and take on the family name, that's your security, that's your hope for the future, that's your rest, right? As, you're, as you get into your old age and you can't work anymore, your children work and then your children's children and they carry on your name and they carry on your legacy and that's your place in the world. But if you have no children or grandchildren, especially, we maybe don't feel this so much in our own culture, but especially in these kind of cultures, it's really the end of you. It's like you get wiped off the face of the earth. And so you need somebody to come and redeem, right? To rescue, to pay a great cost, because that's quite a big cost to go and have children with somebody else, to take another wife into your family. 